Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives differently and explore topics relevant to all areas of their life. Hello, Life Reframers, and welcome to episode 46 today. I'm very excited to be interviewing Steph Jagger, and I have Sandy here with me. Hey, Sandy. Hi, Joanne. And we are interviewing Steph at a restaurant in southern Ontario where we're going to be privileged enough to uh, hear some more stories from Steph so we'll be able to report on those later but today we're doing our interview and uh, why we're interviewing Steph is because she wrote a book and it's called Unbound and I was introduced to this book by a friend and I got super inspired by Steph's story and I jumped on the website and one of the first things that popped up was uh, if you're a podcaster, send me an email. So I did, and she responded, which is awesome. So we're sitting here face-to-face in this restaurant. We're going to enjoy a wonderful evening and uh, lucky to delve in to learn a little bit more about Steph. So let me introduce her first. Steph Jagger splits her time between Southern California and British Columbia, where she dreams big dreams, writes her heart out, and runs an executive and life coaching practice. She holds a CEC, Certified Executive Coach degree from Royal Roads University, and believes courageous living doesn't happen with one toe in the water, but when we jump in and fully submerge and sit in the juice, Think pickle, not cucumber. Love it. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm ecstatic to be here today and to be able to... It's always nice to meet people in person. Yeah, right, when you're exactly. Doing this podcast, yes. So it's really yeah. thrilling. Yeah. So welcome. Let's let's jump right in because I, I have read the book and I listened to the book and uh, I've had laughs and I've had tears <laughs> and I, I uh, we want to make sure our listeners can hear all about it. So... I can share that in your late 20s, you decided to pack up your life that appeared to be going great. Um, There wasn't a disaster. You know, often we find people have some kind of disaster, marriage crisis, health disaster. Mm -hmm. They get laid off, whatever. Um, But you decided, you know, life was going good. Um, I need to do something different and I need to take a journey around the world. So take us back to that day when you first got the idea to do this and share your story. Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. You know, I was, I was, I always say I was ticking off the boxes of adulting, you know, pretty well. You know, I had the job and career path. I had the house and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I was up at Whistler skiing uh, with a couple of friends and it was a beautiful day up there. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be wonderful to do this for a year? Like, kind of quit everything and maybe ski around the world. And they had a good chuckle. You know, you're not a good enough skier. You don't have the money. You don't get a job. You have a mortgage. You have all these things. And, and I got to the top of the chairlift, and, and there was a sign I'd seen hundreds of thousands of times before, which is a blue tin sign from every chairlift in North America, if not around the world. And it says, raise restraint device. It's talking about that bar, the safety bar. And... Um, I saw it and I paused and I looked back and I thought, geez, like, what is holding me back? What is my restraining device from doing something like this? Um, From going from something more or different or better in my life, even though I already have it pretty good. Um, And if I could identify what those things are and and raise the restraining device on each of them, you know, would this actually be possible? And so over the next year and a half, I, I went forward with that experiment and found it was actually possible and 
and uh, was on a plane to Chile um, almost exactly a year and a half after I saw that sign. And I think that's what makes this book amazing is that there is a message in it of you do not have to be broken mm. um, to ask for something more or different or better in your life. Um, we need the stories that that do have that happen, especially as women. We need to know how to pick up the pieces. We need to know how to rise from the ashes when ashes do exist. But we also need to know that we have uh, an inherent worthiness, deservedness, um, and, and the ability to ask for, for more, even when things are good. So, yeah. Yeah. So off you went around the world skiing. Yes. Having a wonderful journey. Yes. And people are obviously going to have to read the yes, book the, yeah. to hear some more of those tales. Yeah. You had to find, like, deep courage. Because, I mean, I've, I've, I've read the book and there was a lot of naysayers along the way. Mm -hmm. Sandy and I have often talked on our podcast about needing validation from others mm -hmm. and needing approval mm -hmm. and things. But it strikes me as they were saying, no, no, you're crazy. And you were like, well, call me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think at that point I did need some some permission and some validation. And, and I found that in the form of, of someone I met along the way. And you, you meet him in the book as well. Um, Joseph is his name in the book. Um, and... And he really saw some common sense in what was an absurd idea. Um, and I took that and ran with it hard. You know, I took that permission and validation. I think nowadays I'm not searching for that permission and validation as much. And I think this is also a really important message for women. You know, we put our work into the world and whether that work be a podcast or a book, whether it be our children, whether it be something more corporate, et cetera, we do that and quite often we expect something back in return, and by something back, I mean approval and validation and permission and worthiness, a sense of deservedness, etc. And I think it's high time we let that go. Mm. That, that we begin to understand that those things are inherent. And if we are able to put our work into the world without the expectation of return of those, then our work can serve as creativity. Our work can serve as a solution. Our work can serve as abundance. Our work can serve as what it's really meant to serve. So, um, did it require some courage and some bravery? Sure. You know, last night at an event uh, I was doing with another author, we were talking about the difference. She said something so brilliant and I'm going to mess it up, but they were talking about getting over fear and she said, it's not fear that you need to get over. It's, it's you need to pull up bravery. You need to pull up some amount. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, I think that was it. Back then I did need someone. Nowadays, not so much. And, and I think that's an important thing. You know, when we go on these journeys, the quintessential Joseph Campbell hero's journey involves a handful of things. Involves boredom and discontent and searching for more, right? Um, it also involves uh, an idea that typically, uh, and a call to adventure that typically is absurd. I mean, look at Luke Skywalker. It's a holographic message from a droid, like absurd. Uh, Dorothy Gale is living in a black and white world. Uh, the beginning of the movie is all black and white. And then a tornado comes in and makes things color. It's, it's an absurd idea. Um, Harry Potter is bored underneath the stairs in a cupboard or something. And uh, a series of owls delivers some letters. It's absurd. So I think the combination of those things, that, that time in our lives where we're thinking, oh, I'm a little bit bored, I'm a little discontent, like things aren't horrible. Mm. But those, that, there's this creeping discontent in my life. That's a time to really start paying attention and and looking 
for an idea that feels absurd. That your even your first reaction might be like, no, that's crazy. But then if you sit with it, you go, is it? You know, is do I think it's crazy because I think it's crazy, or because my parents think it's crazy, or because somebody from a different generation and, and their thoughts about money and economy and saving and, and risk and think it's crazy. So that's shifted for me quite a bit, but thank goodness it was time for Joseph because he really uh, he really offered that. You know, when I told him the idea, he said, "Of course, let's celebrate." And I thought, "Right, of course." You know, it's just it seems like <laughs> right. it was the most common sense thing to him. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the hero's journey because that was the qu question I just added in today to ask you in our notes of what we wanted to talk about because I, you know, I've thought a lot about the hero's journey and how, and some people think it's different for women, like our journey is, journey. right, the heroine's different. Yeah, exactly. And so I was thinking about, you know, right now it seems like we've interviewed people, even this week we interviewed someone who went on kind of a quest herself and she would say it was absurd yeah she would say it was absurd <laughs> and you know I was thinking you know some of the like eat pray love yeah, or yeah. wild or those kinds of stories it seems like there's this um, intention or I don't know if intention is the right word but there seems to be this awareness or this this trend I hate that word but of women wanting to to do these kinds of journeys, you know, whether it's yeah. the hiking the Camino or yeah. something like this, right? Like, so what do you think's behind that? Like, is that something unique to this time that we're living in? What's driving I, that? I think there's two things that are unique to it. And, and certainly I'm not a social scientist and I would really encourage somebody who's not in the study this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but here's my hunch on it. Um, my hunch is two things. My hunch is that women are, are at a stage in this era of starting to practice more self-care and getting intentional and creating the lives that we really want instead of just kind of accepting what is. And I think it's a beautiful thing. So I think there are more people searching for, for those things in an intentional way. I think the second part of this is that when you go back into what I'll call our, our ancestral history or into mythology or, or kind of our ancient lives, the, the reason why there was two uh, paths, one the hero's journey, one the heroine's journey, was because women have a rite of passage built into our biology. When we're, I don't know, 12 to 16 years old, we all go through getting our first period sometime in that, right? Mm -hmm. And it became this, this real celebration, and this ritual was a rite of passage, it was marked, it was, you know, part of all of our culture's storytelling, and okay, there's, a, there's an obvious transition here from a girl to a woman. Boys didn't have that. And so they created a lot of these rites of passage throughout time. I think our society has kind of attached a lot of, uh, I'm going to ignore this rite of passage. There's shame attached to this rite of passage. This is not something we talk about right away. So I think with that, we've had to, as women, begin to create our own, like the men had to in the past. Does that make any sense? Again, I'm not a social scientist, but I think that's something that perhaps would be a valid, if I was in sociology like I was in university, I'd probably be studying that. Right? Yeah. I, I think that sounds sounds like a reasonable. Reason. Yeah, no, it's a, I mean it's a hypothesis. Right. Right. Exactly. exactly. It sounds my good. Hypothesis. PhD <laughs> at Royal Roads. It's coming up. That's I'm right. sure. We're all heading back. But our rites of passage have changed so dramatically over the years, and I think we're really searching for, you know, what does that mean? Our rites of passage. I write about this a little bit in the book. Have become 
you know, can we just go to a party and get have have a few cocktails and, and buy somebody a present? Well, that's not that's not a right right of passage to womanhood or to motherhood or to you know from from maiden to as we age through all the way through the crone. You know, are we really mm -hmm. celebrating these mm -hmm. rights of passage? No, not terribly. Mm -hmm. So I think we're searching for those. I think we're searching for meaning in those traditions. Mm, yeah. So looking back on it now, because I mean you're. The idea of your journey was all about reaching a goal. Yes. Yes. Um, but of course, uh, you know, a story of snow and self-discovery. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as you explain, a rite of passage. I mean, you didn't necessarily know that going in, no, into it. You were like, no. I'm going to be the powerful woman and I'm going to achieve this goal. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was lured into it, but, you know, the universe was very smart. It really baited my ego. Yeah. And what my ego wanted at the time was to be seen as, as a success in, in what, what, what was a very masculine ideal that I had developed. And it, it became inarguable. If you could ski around the world and ski four million feet, like it's inarguable that you are the one with the biggest cojones in the room. And that's what baited me into it. Yeah. Lo and behold, the actual journey I was on um, was the opposite. Was how can you rescue and rebalance the, the feminine in your life with with the masculine and how what will that look like and what will that person at the you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the four million feet but what will the person who's standing at that finish line who will she be mm -hmm. so yeah I mean it was it was a much different journey than mm. I thought and I and I think that's when we do go on you know when we walk the Camino when Elizabeth Gilbert did it but you know we don't you have to go yeah. with the flow at some point yeah you know, those things. Mm -hmm. yeah see what unfolds. So at what point in your journey did you start to understand that this was more about more than about just, you know, chalking up the miles? I think probably halfway through. When I when I was in South America, which was the first place that I went to, it was miles. Uh, when I was in New Zealand, it was miles, but New Zealand put up quite a bit of a fight. I think what she was trying to do was slow me down. And, yeah. But of course I was too stubborn to listen. And I had to kind of hit my head against the wall a number of times in, until I got that. And it wasn't until really I took a break between the Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere and I was able to slow down enough. And this is when this is when I was given uh, the series of CDs of Bill Moyer uh, interviewing Joseph Campbell. This is when I was given uh, Sue Monk Kids, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter. You know, these stunning mm -hmm. examples of transformation mm -hmm. and growth and femininity. And, and spoiler alert, who is now my husband, he, he was really the one at the time who said a number of times, there's something else going on here. You know, there's something deeper at play, and you need to start listening and paying attention and slowing down. And so it, it really was, by the time I was got to Japan, I, I, I understood there was something different at play. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and maybe I couldn't articulate what it was at that point, but, you know, around the half of and it was kind of a push-pull, wasn't it? Because as I was reading it, I kept yeah. thinking, she's going to drop the goal. She's going to drop the goal. So I love how you've talked about it's balance. You didn't drop the goal, but you were also open to, okay, what else, what else is this? That's right. And you described it was about how do I how do I find that balance of a masculine feminine? And I think that's when I cried because, mm. you know, I've been going, you've got too much masculine energy. Nice. You're too masculine. Nice. You're... And in our previous podcast, we've spoken about going with the ebb and flow yeah. or finding yeah. balance, whether it be spiritual, emotional, financial, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. So how are you still 
grappling or, or yeah. have, have you grappled and I've conquered? Grappled, I know, I've grappled a lot. I've grappled with a lot. the masculine and feminine. It is, it's a balance mm. because, I mean, that's what the mountains taught me. That's what this entire trip really taught me was we often think of things, and we talked about this last night actually when we met, we often think of things as it's this or it's that. Yeah. It's masculine or it's feminine. You have to choose between the safe path and the really risky one. You have to choose between being a corporate and being an artist. You know, all of these different things. So, so this is not my experience, and this is what the mountains taught me. The mountains are, are stunning contradiction. They are a representation of something that is immovable, yet mm. eroding at the same time. Mm. They're a contradiction of something that is, that is, you know, light all over it, and the other side is a complete shadow. So every time I felt I was in the mountains, it, it was a reminder of, how many competing truths can you hold in your hands at the same time? And and for me, that's such a representation of the masculine and feminine now. How can I not ask myself, should I bring the masculine energy to the table or should I bring the feminine? It's, how do I bring both? So I don't think it's, have I conquered it? I don't think it's, which one did you go with? It's a consistent balance now of what feels most authentically you. And maybe on one day it's going to be on a little further on another side. And, and I actually think five, ten years from now, this conversation probably won't exist. I think the next generation is going to go masculine. This, yeah. There's no, there's no difference. There's no difference in the gender. There's no difference in the energy. There's no difference. You know, this is just all what it is. Yeah. Um, but I think this generation is is working with. Okay, let's move it at least from these polarities to a duality. So. That's what I work with. On, that's what I attempt to think about, you know, in, in, in an everyday situation. And, and I feel as though now I can actually accomplish. I used to think it would be the opposite. You know, I needed this masculine drive to go, go, go and fight and be a warrior and all this to accomplish things. And, and I actually feel like I've accomplished a lot more uh, using the balance of them because I take the time to kind of listen to intuition and understand what direction is calling to me and what's speaking to me. I use a lot more. Uh, community. I, I like to bring other women to sit at the table and, and move forward in that way, which moves you there faster anyways. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you have to slow down to speed up. I guess you move into this like Kronos time to get into, you know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. So, so working with those dualities, whether it be masculinity, masculinity or femininity or other ones that exist for us, I think is such a fascinating subject right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I think we were talking on the way here about some of the um, the roles that we play in our marriage, you know, mm. and, and how we <laughs> we fall into these masculine and feminine roles and we have to ask ourselves, like, why why are we doing these things? You know, it's so ingrained in us, in our, our culture and our upbringing. I'm a little bit older than both of you, pushing on Crone, happily <laughs> pushing on Crone, and there will be a party, I'm telling you. <laughs> Yes, and I I think that some of these lessons, though, that you will go through even deeper, oh. like from my experiences, like you'll just, you know, you, you've learned it for who you are now, yes. and then you'll learn it all over again, because I, I feel like I'm just relearning things that I was like, oh, I thought I dealt with that before. Well, every, every kind of cycle of the hero's journey that he goes through, I yeah. think it's Danny Shapiro that said, I think of memoir job should be to write the same memoir once every 10 years. Yeah, exactly. See how it 
how their perspective, how it would be the same lesson, but different, you know, all these different things. Yeah. No, I'm not going to go ahead. I'm not going to do that. But, um, but it was, uh, it's such an interesting thing to think about all the different cycles of journey that we'll go through and the lessons we need to, exactly as you said, the ones we think we've got mastered. And then all of a sudden there's kids at play and you go, oh, well, I don't have it mastered anymore. And then all of a sudden there's some, there's a death in the family. Well, I certainly don't have it mastered now at this stage or, you know, it kind of goes on and on. And the learning continues. Just right, and you learn like so. I learn from younger women, and that don't have the same restraints that I faced growing up yeah. or culturally. Yeah. So, you know, so you're learning yeah. as well on that end of things. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, that's a different way to think right. or act, right. and that that's a great way to be. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that sounds like a powerful learning on your journey that's remained with you mm. today. Are there any other powerful thoughts or lessons that you learned along the way that, that still come into it's your decision-making or your presence? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, probably the biggest shift that I still, I'm certainly not like a guru when it comes to the mastery and self-mastery of this, is the form of motivation. Um, the, the form of motivation that I used to, my ego and I used to come up with this trip was fear-based. You know, I was fearful of being seen or not seen a particular way. I was fearful of what, who I was without achievement and goal setting, that type of orientation. You know, all of those different things. So it was really a fear-based motivation that, that drove me from when I, a young age, all the way through until I was about just over 30. And when I finished the trip, uh, a friend of mine, her mother, who's also a coach, um, said to me, you know, Steph, I've watched you since you were like four or five years old, and you've you've used fear your whole life and you've, it's done you well, like bravo. You've accomplished a lot of things, but have you noticed that each thing that you accomplish that gets bigger, fear has to get bigger. I said, yes. And she said, so by the time you're 35 or 45 or 55, you know, you're going to be paralyzed. And I was like, Oh, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> and she said, so is fear what you want to use to motivate yourself? in your And I said, no, and it took me two years. I was very stuck for two years after the trip because, thank goodness, I'm stubborn enough. Still, I still have a lot of stubbornness. I'm stubborn enough that I would not use it. You know, when it would come up, it would take over. It would be, you know, motivating something or I'd be doing something. Like that. I'd notice it and go, oh, boy, you know, here we are again. Same lesson. And, and I would put it down, and then I would be stuck because I wouldn't know how to move forward. I just had no other tool. And so it took about two years, and, and I credit a lot of this to the coaching and, and the work that I did at Royal Roads, um, and, and them opening up my ability to see different variations and ways of moving. But I think now I try my best to use curiosity, joy, compassion, calling, purpose-based motivation, um, all of those things to pull me towards something, versus me trying to push the cart uphill and like drag the limp body across the finish line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And there's a, there's a freedom in that that is, uh, it just, all of it feels like it's hard work. You still, I don't want to say like, oh, it's all easy, then it just becomes yeah. easy and it's wonderful <laughs> and things like that. There's, you still got to like, you know, sit in the chair 365 days a, a year to write the book. Um, but there is an ease to it when, when you're able to kind of tap into those other forms of motivation and, and kind of quote unquote stay on the balance beam. So that's something that's, that I learned through the trip how how heavily I relied on fear to motivate myself and to accomplish, and and something that I still now to this day have to kind of 
do a bit of a tango I love that. That's such a great reframe, you know, for for our listeners and for us. And I just read something about this today. It was it's interesting. Like it must be a message I'm supposed to hear today. (laughs) But it was this um, woman had written on um, Instagram. She just announced she got married, and and uh, it was a um, she's a pretty famous person. I can't even remember her name. Glennon something. Oh yeah, yeah, Glennon 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 Glennon. Melton. I can never get it right, but (laughs) I always want to. Don't know which way her name goes, but. Um, and she was saying that she was so afraid to get married and to be in this relationship. And she went to her coach or to a coach and the coach said to her, you know, that you can follow joy as well as pain in your life. And, you know, you don't have, just because it feels so good and doesn't mean that, you know, you should be kind of backing away because you can still grow through joy and you can still, it's interesting. And and this is, this is, I've become such a believer that we are so in tune with calling and our intuition when it comes to fear and pain. You know, I I use this as an example because I get get asked a lot of questions about, you know, we talk a lot about intuition and how do you use intuition, but like, I have no idea how to tap into my intuition. Like, where do you even start? And I said, well, that's a lie. You do know how to tap into your any woman that has walked down a street and maybe seen a car or a person or a situation on the corner or whatever it is and got a shiver up their arm and gone, I gotta cross the street or I gotta phone somebody or maybe I should go back inside the restaurant and wait for my cab there. We know this sensation of intuition so distinctly when it comes to our fear. But when it comes to our joy, we quite often disregard it. Like, oh, no, 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 there's got to be more logical and rational reason than that. We would never question that when it comes to our fear. So I think that's such a great uh, distinction that you've made, and that, that I think I probably read a similar, similar post this morning. Um, and I think that's a that's our great work as women, and, and I think men as well in this, um, is can we use that same form of intuition to inform us about where we're being pulled, not where we're being away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people use the words consolation and desolation to describe that as well. And Yeah, or a big one these days is resistance. Mm-hmm. There's a huge movement that is about resist. Well, do you want to be invited to the protest and the resistance? Or do you want to be invited to the party about peace and joy? I mean, maybe sometimes they're one and the same, but I think those energies are very different. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got to be careful in, in I'm going to resist this. this. This means I've got something to defend. Yeah. I'm scared of something. Can we switch that and say, what is it that's bringing me joy? What is mm-hmm. it that's positive here that I can bring to my house? Instead of building up a barrier against things that I'm terrified of. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Um, Sandy alluded to one of your reframes, and another one of your reframes, um, well, I've called it a reframe, and uh, it certainly got me thinking uh, as I was reading it was, you kind of reached your goal, and then it was like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and you've yeah. reframed celebrating the end to why don't we celebrate the beginning? And we speak about mm. goals and achievement and and just asking the question or creating some space to even think about it and go through the process. You know, I think it's Brene Brown that says – you know, there's the start and the end, but the messy bit is, is the good bit is in the middle, you right. know. Right. Um, so, yeah, right. tell us about about uh, 
how it felt when you reached your goal and, and how that alluded to Well, there's probably two ways to answer that. I mean, I've always been, when it comes to goals, I think because of the fear-based motivation, when I hit the goals, they were never enough, right? Because you're always going, well, wait, if that didn't convince them, then what else, you know? And, and I get asked similar questions as well. How do you know when enough is coming? Um, so so there, there's some of it, I think, that plays into that. The other side of it is, I, I've, we've got to celebrate finish lines. Mm. I mean, like no basement renovation would be complete yeah. if we didn't have big finish lines. Right? But <laughs> we've got to, we've got to do that. But I think there's something so much more alluring, and I think there's a lot more courage and bravery required to announce and put your toe on a starting line. And that's, you know, that, that's to me always been. Um, there's so much power and potential at that point, and I think that's always a place that I like to look at. And perhaps this takes me back to a lot of the work with Joseph Campbell. I mean, it would be like us only looking at what is the hero bringing home, mm -hmm. and that's it. We're not. We're going to disregard all of this other stuff, and and to not look at where did this start? Where was I bored? What was the absurd message? Did I have the courage to say yes to it, even though everybody told me that I was crazy? I mean, that needs to be looked at in a mm -hmm. lot of them, mm -hmm. yes. especially for women. Mm -hmm. I think our collective response to boredom and discontent is uh, pretty shocking, actually. You know, when, when a man, typically, these are generalizations, but typically when a man is bored or discontent, you say, uh, go, go for the promotion, climb mm -hmm. Everest, like, what are you waiting for? Mm -hmm. You know, all this stuff. Um, get, get a younger wife, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> um, or or uh, when a child is bored, our typical response is to use their imagination. You know, you've got all these crayons. Like, I'm sure Joey would like to build a fort with you. Like, go use your imagination. When women are bored, our typical response is like, well, you have it pretty good. Um, so maybe you don't want to take that. That's a risk. That would be a big risk. Like, maybe Dawn needs a new tennis club. Like maybe that'll be good enough for her. And so I think that I think that really needs to to shift to when a woman announces that there's boredom and discontent and that she's searching for something more. I think that's the time that we should really be gathering around and going, like, let, let's start a hunt together for this for the career starting line. Yeah. Because if if not, what we end up doing is we put that boredom and discontent on and, and you guys are gonna hear me talk about this tonight on the back burner and we let it turn into other things and we let it turn into self-sabotage and we let it turn into frustration we let it turn into sabotage we let it turn into overeating and yeah. trips to the liquor store and we, all these things and then we may even go even further and we may let it turn into you know 10 years later it's turned into addiction it's turned into disease it's turned into rage it's turned into accidents etc right and, and exactly and exactly so and that's where as women, we are applauded for, oh, she, she then she's allowed to go on the trip around the world. Yes. Then she's allowed to ask for more. And what this does is it makes our strength contingent on us, some mm -hmm. part of us being broken, which is BS. You know, when you're talking, I'm thinking we had this woman on our, our um, program, Courtney Carver. She's mm -hmm. Project 333. She mm -hmm. was in the Minimalist documentary, if you saw that. I recognize the name. Anyway, she was, it was quite interesting, but her journey mm -hmm. was to get rid of things. Like she went, ah, so yeah. her whole thing was, you know, and I think, I think that's kind of driving as you're talking and thinking, this is partly what's driving this whole minimalism movement as well. It's a way of, you know, your journey can be a way of shedding, right? It's shedding stuff 
And mm-hmm. so it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to mean going somewhere. You can be doing, shedding some of those restraints and getting rid of some of that stuff. And uh, I think that we live in a culture that wants to keep us very numb and very focused on really... Well, we live in the muggles. I mean, yes, muggles, right? yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very yeah. superficial, you know. Mm-hmm. I was um, talking to my son on the weekend and he was telling me he's 31 and he was just so shocked because he went out with a group of friends he hadn't seen for a while and he was like they were talking about backsplashes he said to me when did when did we become those people when did like when did my friends all of a sudden start caring about backsplashes <laughs> and he was just because yeah. he's it not at age 30.2 yeah because yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's oh, he's great. like still the adventurer single guy yeah. who's not thinking about backsplashes, so it was just, it's like, yeah, it happens, it happens. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's tough, because if you're a person who who doesn't wait until something breaks, and you ask for more, well, then what that does is it it does two things to the people around you. It either makes them question their own lives, which many don't want to do, or I think there is a tough thing in that there are some people who are very happy and should be living like that's that's what they want to do that's great so it it makes it kind of a like well do you think you're better mm-hmm. than me because you because i like backsplashes and you like adventure you know so it's, it's a bit of a it can be a bit of a tough thing so so it becomes easy in the norm to wait until something really snaps and breaks right. yeah. so that was the reason yeah and I guess, like, it goes back to a lot of things we talk about. Is the backsplash your, it's like wine, too much wine, or, yeah. you know, your addictions, or whatever you're doing to numb yourself. Is is that what it is? Or is it just an aesthetic that you're really right, interested right. in, or which is fine? Yeah. yeah, so, you, yeah, I, I think it can be both. Yeah. You can do both. Yeah. But you're right. You have to be careful of not falling into judgment, but it is can be yeah. a way of numbing as well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we're uh, yeah complex society. I know where I was going. Well, both my husband and I were going through our journey of um, we've spoken about this a lot, but not, not having children. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like number one, people would question me more. Well, what's wrong with you? And they wouldn't even. They'd just ignore him. Oh well, you know, right. He's a guy. He obviously doesn't. And and so they'd question. Well, don't you have that? In a mothering what are you instinct. So right, for right, right. for a number of years, I was like, "Okay, I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. Something's wrong with me." Da, da, da. Yeah. And, yeah. and as you say, it worked. I was speaking with someone about it the other day, who is in their early thirties and doesn't know whether they want to have kids or not. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of shared my journey from thirty to forty, and I said, "You know, the toughest was the later years, where it's like, okay, now." Like, you really kind of have to make... You have to decide. Yeah, you have to decide, and you have to be okay. So it took me a while to be okay with whatever else was going out there. But, but yeah, it's like, well, that's not you're not fulfilling your role, so therefore... Yeah, or th- there has to be a reason other yeah. than wanting something different than kids. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, no, there do, you know, there does... Just, that, yeah. that's, that's where we're at with... 
feminism comes in. Mm. I don't have to provide the reason. Yeah. And that's, that's what right. I love. That's why I was talking about learning from younger because when yeah. I I was just like, oh, well, you you know, you're just it's a given. You're going to get married and you're probably going right. to have one or two kids, right. but you're going to have one. Like yeah. <laughs> you know? yes. And that was just almost an assumption, I think, that um, I just love like the the way things are moving yeah. and that now mm-hmm. people are asking bigger questions like why yes. I, do I have to do I yeah. need to yeah. do I want to yeah. yeah yeah or why not yes <laughs> why yes. can't I do this right. yes exactly right. like you know yes I'm going to be as safe as I can I'm going to prepare I mean 18 yes. months of preparation right. Right. like you didn't just go oh well that's it I'm going to go ski every months of preparation yeah. which you know, skied a few hard days myself. I know right, that's right, right. that's uh, yeah. that's hard hard work. That yeah. is so. I got to ask some quick fire questions around skiing because okay. all my got ski it. buddies are, are okay. listening. I'll tune yeah. out here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and actually talk about that. So that's one of the things I said when I was first on the phone with you. I laughed through this book and I cried through this book. What I loved is obviously I resonated with it because there was a lot of ski stories, but every ski story there was a non-ski story. Yes, yeah. and uh, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, um, I mean, I certainly don't think you have to be a, a skier right. to enjoy the book. In fact, it was it was quite funny. We I went out to New York to kind of work with my editor on like here's the whole structure, and we put all these cue cards on the table and all the different scenes and move them all around, and then, you know, okay, great, we've got the structure of the book. And I went home to the hotel that night and. I, I started to laugh and I phoned her and I said, we forgot the skiing. <laughs> like we, we actually got so into how are we going to describe this emotional journey mm-hmm. that oh, I was like, wow. we didn't even put the record in there. Like we really missed the boat because <laughs> we were so consumed by that. Um, and I think that's, again, I'll kind of go back to the, the idea of whether it was the skiing or not. I, I don't think it was, although, although, Athletics have done two things for me. Athletics were, as someone as stubborn as I was, athletics were a mode into my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, because often I, I, would, I would go until I broke down in some way. You know, I needed that. Now I don't need that as much. So I've kind of given up working out or doing <laughs> whatever. But so it's good because I can tap into emotions without that. The second part of the skiing, and we, we talked about this already, was the use of intuition. Is that when you're in the mountains, you need that fear intuition to tell you if a situation is safe or not. And I think that's exactly how I, same thing with the emotions, I was able to kind of crack open, like, what is this whole intuition thing? So I do credit physical activity and skiing for those things. Um, But ultimately, it was the mountains that taught me more than skiing did. And I talked about this a little bit with the duality of the mountains, whether, you know, the fact that they're both so permanent but changeable at the same time. Um, But they really were a mirror of of what was going on for me. whether they were, you know, flush with snow, and you know, those were the times that I was full of energy, and other times it would they would be they would be bare and patchy and kind of ragged looking, and I was just I would look at them and go, oh my gosh, it's me right now. Like so, so they really were a mirror and, and almost another character and a real guide for me. And I think that's I think that's what big, I call it big nature. I think that's what big nature is. Whether it's big ocean, whether it's you know huge forests. Um, whether it's big mountains, mm-hmm. uh, huge lakes, the lake country right here. Right? Yeah. So these are these are the places that we can go to tell us exactly how insignificant we are, but also exactly how connected we are to everything, how important we are to everything. 
so the, the, the mountains, and, and, and again, as I said, big nature has always been a really important thing for me to figure out where I'm at right now and what is going to be the best and highest use of me going forward. And can I spend enough time in nature to really hear how I'm being instructed to move forward? So that's been an important part. Now that doesn't relate. So that, I mean, that might not satisfy some of your ski, your, your <laughs> no. desire for ski-related information. Uh, so. I, I don't know. I can, I can ask some more questions. But as you were talking, I'm like, and, and unpredictable in a way, too. You, you're in the mountains, which means the weather is unpredictable. Yes. For a start, yes. and you're kind of at, at the beck and call yes. of, of the elements, which is, I mean, life is unpredictable, yes. you know? Yes. We're so at the beck and call of the context yes. that we happen to be in. Yes. But also, you had to have a certain openness to feel that intuition, you know. I think there's a, there's a term in athleticism called flow state, which is when your, your skills as an athlete kind of exactly match the challenge of the terrain. So if the terrain is too easy, it's like, well, like this is boring, yeah. I'm still thinking about what my uncle said, and I'm still thinking about where I'm going to get the groceries and what time we should leave in order to beat traffic in the city. You know, you're still doing... Um, if it's too hard, then uh, fear takes over, and you're, mm -hmm. you know, then it's a whole other whatever else is happening. <laughs> but when they meet perfectly, you go into a bit of a flow state. And what I feel, I didn't know this at the time, and I wouldn't have been able to articulate at the time, but basically, I spent 10 months doing a moving meditation for five hours a day. Wow. Yes. So, yes. of course, I opened up. Yeah, of course you're right. You know? yeah. Of course, it. I could hear things that I wouldn't normally be able to hear. I was also traveling, which meant not only was I doing the five hours of moving meditation a day, it meant that I wasn't going home to family or a boss or the, all the other voices that can come back into you. So I was doing the moving meditation, but then add on to that kind of a freedom and silence from all of the expectations and voices and other people's fears and limitations that you should be doing this, etc. And I think I, I write in a in a joking way at the end. You know, it's like I became a monk. <laughs> um, and I think that's what that kind of time traveling can do. I think that's what um, that kind of length of time spent in a meditative state can do. Um, there's, there's big nature is involved in that. But that doesn't mean that people can't access that. Like that's like, well, great, but I don't have time or, or the money or the freedom or the whatever to spend 10 months doing a moving meditation. Yeah. So we need to find ways to tap into this mm -hmm. uh, on a daily basis. So if, if you could take that same concept of, of the flow state that's talked about in athletics, could you... Could you use that in uh, creativity? You know, are there times when you're, and I'm making this up, but engaged in doing some pottery where time just goes? Mm. You know, where the challenge of the bowl that you're making kind of perfectly meets the like, you know, mediocre beginner level of making pottery that you're at? Well, isn't that stunning? Mm. How many times a day could we immerse ourselves in those types of things? Mm. I think that's a, a really important question for us to be asking. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be standard meditation just where, where is that close to you it could be yeah. writing could be something in corporate could be motherhood could be you know could be yeah. and i well, love we, how you called it moving meditation yeah i do meditation. too yeah, yeah yeah well it, we did want to ask you about now that you're back how are there any routines or rituals that you've put in place mm -hmm. to help support you in continuing 
and tapping into your intuition or finding that balance in your life? Yeah. Probably the most consistent ritual is wine. Um, yes. Oh, awesome. oh my God. Yeah, yeah. High five. <laughs> so, you know, the, the rituals change. I do have rituals and I do have things that I do, um, but they change. Um, I'm like kind of like a binge and purge ritual mm. person. They change depending on what I'm, what stage I'm at and what I'm being called to do. So I've been on the road basically for three months now, and there isn't always space for me to kind of sit, have my coffee, do a guided meditation, spend some time journaling. Like, that's what I do when I'm in, like, a deep writing. Yes. So what is it that I'm going to do here? Well, I've got a list of podcasts. Um, I've got a handful of people on speed dial. I've got, you know... Phone people saying, when, when I come here, could you have this in the fridge? Can you make sure there's hard-boiled eggs for me? That'd be wonderful. You know, so, so it really changes. Um, I think probably the most consistent thing that I stick to is reading. And then maybe when I'm traveling, it might shift a little bit more to, like, the Audible, some of the popular mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but is there information that I'm consuming that is bringing me joy and light and a sense of possibility, you know, whether that's, whether that's, okay, I'm going to sit down and read a Bill Bryson book, or is that I'm going to listen to, you know, on being, listen to the, maybe your show, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. So I think that's I love the- that you put us. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that just, yeah, 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 yeah. I hope everyone caught yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> So, so they change, but, um, and then of course there's, as I mentioned, there's rituals, for sure there's rituals when I'm in like a writing process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it changes and it varies just depending on what what I what activity I'm doing, what I'm being called to do in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So um, best ski terrain in the world that you've skied? Ski touring or terrain. skiing? Oh, ski oh, terrain. terrain. Yeah. Um, so, oh, you know, gosh, besides yeah, having yeah, good yeah, snow, yeah, bad yeah. snow, etc. Yeah. like... Best ski terrain. Probably... Um, we, I would do Black Hole Whistler has amazing terrain. I would say Jackson Hole has amazing terrain. Yeah. Um, Alta, Utah, unbelievable fall line skiing there. Kicking awesome. horse. Really yeah. Good. Um, I could kind of go on. And okay. On. No, I mean, that's this is, good. This is the same thing. Like the mountains, as I said, were like a mirror. Yeah. So it's kind of like asking me, what's the most amazing face you've ever seen? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. There's so, there's different, like, yeah. how could you choose? Yeah. It's such an amazing so there, there's, yeah, it's true. People often ask, we live in three countries, you know, what's the best country? Well, we've made the most of every single country right. we've lived in. We've right. enjoyed our life. We've had a, yeah. Right. Um, okay, so, but I still have to ask you, is, yeah. there, is there anywhere on the list that you haven't skied yet? Oh, there's tons. Oh, there's tons on the list. One ski of my ski buddies wanted me to. I barely skied in British Columbia at all. Um, oh. Which, by the time I got back to North America, I was so travel weary that I was like, you know, this, I'm, I'm sticking in places like Salt Lake where there's eight resorts in 30 minutes and that type of thing. So that has shifted. I haven't skied, I haven't skied, I'll list them off. I haven't skied Revelstoke. I haven't skied Fernie. Um, oh, Red, white. Um, I haven't skied Apex. I haven't skied, oh, there's tons. It's, oh. it's almost embarrassing. Um, wow. Uh, so, and the same thing, I haven't skied Mammoth. In, in um, you know, yeah, like heads kind of shaking and down in California, mm-hmm. um, handful of places tons. in Colorado. So there's tons. Okay. Yeah. Lots to cover. Lots awesome. To cover. Lots to cover. 
Well, we're going to be uh, wrapping up soon here because, as I said, we are in a restaurant and people are starting <laughs> yeah, to come. I mean, we have tons more questions, but just last, well, last two, what's next yeah. for you? Yeah. But, I mean, you're finishing your book tour. Yeah, obviously finishing the book tour. I get asked what's next a lot. Yeah. What's on your bucket list, right? Well, I want to ask, because when, when this book finished, I was like, oh, but I wanted to know about the journey after, after the journey. The journey. <laughs> yeah, so so I think um, there's two things. I get asked what's on my bucket list a lot. There's two. Am I listening to what I'm called to do? And two, do I have the courage to say yes when I hear it? So both that from a big picture is those things will always be on my bucket list. Now, of course, it will get filled because I'm called to do different things. Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's at least two more books that I'm feeling called to, to move forward with. One is a memoir, one is not. So you, you, know, you may get yeah. your wish. Yeah. <laughs> genie, you rub the genie on the right day. Um, and there's uh, some probably some more significant time spent in the mountains. Um, my husband and I think would like to probably spend more time in BC. We spend some time in BC, but would like more uh, or maybe even on the Alberta side of the Rockies. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a handful of things business-wise that I'd like to, I'm feeling really called to do. So those will all unroll, but the, but the real big one is, is am I listening and do I have the courage to say yes? Wow. Great. Uh, great. That's a great way to end. Yeah. Yes. Great yes. questions, yeah. uh, to end on. And of course we wanted to get into the journey about after the journey, but we yeah. will wait for your next book yeah. or yeah. whatever it is that, right. that, uh, right. that shares that because you alluded to some of the work already that yeah. you did. So I'm super, super excited yeah. that we got to spend this oh, time with you today because um, I know your schedule is packed and uh, thanks for being open well, thank and, you. Um, you know, literally within 24 hours, uh, I, I got an email and it's, it's really nice. Uh, Sandy and I feel like we're finding our little niche in Canada of interviewing yeah. people like yourselves yeah. who have had wonderful experiences and not all big you know triumphant right. ones either right. but their own journeys and their mm. own experiences exactly we right. both get a lot from it and right. i know our listeners do too so. yes so we will let everyone know where to find you sure, so sure, yeah. the book is called unbound mm -hmm. and you would be happy to know i tried to get it at my library because i knew i was going to get a copy right, today right, right, right. and mm. it's like on hold right, like i was right, like right. waiting for three years yeah, to get yeah, it right. so maybe they'll be getting more copies right. but the book is called unbound yeah. and your website is the website is stephjagger.com okay uh, same thing instagram facebook uh, those types of things and yeah i love it as you know you emailed and i emailed back i love interacting with people and finding out what's going on and it's a big part of part of my own work outside yeah. of uh, Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.